The following program has been pre-recorded. On this episode of Belonging, the show for young Catholic adults, we have Dr. Brad Pepper, the director of the Office of Faith Formation at the Diocese of Nashville. He gives us his testimony and converting to Catholicism. I'm still atheist, but... So still atheist, but choosing to study the history of Christianity? Yes. Is that kind of... My advisor said, you know, you're, you're going to do great at psych, you love psych, however, you turn more alive when you start talking about theology and philosophy. Mm. And that's where it turned me on, and eventually then I become <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> on this episode of Belonging, next... This program is made possible by the generous donations of Jeannie and Bill Stayskull, members of Christ the King Parish in Nashville, and by a grant from the Cook Foundation. Take advantage of the many opportunities for young people in the Nashville Diocese to connect and find belonging. Like University Catholic, a community of college-age students who are serious about their faith and unite in fellowship and friendship to deepen their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Go to universitycatholic.org to find out more. You can also connect with young Catholics like you by attending events like Summit Music City. It's a night of music followed by adoration and reconciliation. It's free and open to young people of all faiths. Go to soundscatholic.com or try Theology on Tap, where you can gather with other people in their 20s and 30s like you who want to learn more about their faith while enjoying a beverage together. Join Theology on Tap Nashville on Facebook for events and times. Welcome to Belonging on Nashville Catholic Radio, the show for the young adults here in the Diocese of Nashville. We're filming from the Oscar Romero studio at the Pastoral Center. My name is Zach Jansen. We're joined by our co-host, Father Gervon. He's the chaplain at University Catholic. Uh, and this week, we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Brad Pepper. He's the new, newly appointed as the Office of Director of Faith Formation uh, here at the Diocese of Nashville. Uh, served as the chair of the theology department at JP2, I guess now Pope Prep, uh, for was it 14 years? I, guess. I was department chair there for six years, and then I worked there for 14, 14. years as what? a theology. You know that that time counts against you or purgatory, right? Yes. That's you already served that time. Yeah. If you work in a Catholic school, <laughs> right. it, yeah, it, it, it deduct from your yes. purgatory time. Oh, but a lot of great ministry. So thank you, Dr. Pepper, for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, for those who don't know much about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess where you came from and what, what brought you to, to Tennessee here. Yeah, so originally, which every so often my accent may come out a little bit, I grew up in the state of Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, in a town that at that time was about 700 people. What brought me down here was I did my graduate work in church history at Vanderbilt, which was a little bit unusual because I actually grew up, at that point in time, I was an atheist hmm. uh, and decided to study church history. So what can you tell us more about that? You brought it up just a second ago, how you never thought you'd be teaching in a church building or working in one. Right, or so, let alone the diocese and dealing <laughs> with faith diocese. formation. Well, what, <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what's, if I may ask, what started the, the atheism and kind of the change? Yeah, so I grew up, my family was Lutheran, and so I was baptized Lutheran, and I really didn't enjoy church. I didn't enjoy a lot of the aspects about it, but my parents would always go. We'd go every week. Uh, kind of the turning point for me was during confirmation. So I asked, uh, I was asking a lot of questions. <laughs> and one of the questions that I had, because I was 
very curious about was, you know, how could Jesus be human and divine at the same time? And so I kept pressing the question. And the pastor at the time told my father that I needed to stop asking questions <laughs> to get through the class. <laughs> That's a good sign. Right. Isn't it? Which, yeah. yeah, seemed like the opposite reason why you're going through confirmation <laughs> class. So that kind of was that moment where I really turned away. I still went to church for my parents. I still kind of, you know, went. And I ended up, oddly enough, going to Luther College, which is a small liberal arts college in Decorah, Iowa. But what I was going there for was to study psychology and specifically cognitive neuroscience. And so at Luther, I was lucky enough to have my psych advisor was a Catholic. He almost he, he was going to become a priest, uh, discerned out, but had seriously considered. And I took a very robust liberal arts education and had particular professors who made great impacts on my life. So I was rapidly atheist, deterministic, materialistic, all of those aspects. And I had this great professor um, by the name of Storm Bailey. He was my philosophy professor. <laughs> great name for a philosopher teacher. <laughs> I know. He was, and he was the epitome of a philosophy professor. He was like six foot five from South Carolina, had a ponytail. He loved the black crows. He would always have concert t-shirts on, have a you know, vest. He looked like he was always like at some type of festival. <laughs> um, but Storm was extraordinarily intelligent. And one of the things that many of the students didn't know was he himself converted to Christianity. Mm. And he and I got along great, had a couple classes with him, and then we did an independent study together. And that's where I found out he was a committed Christian, which kind of blew my mind. Hmm. Uh, that how can you be both, right? Right. How can you be <laughs> this intelligent and be, you know, Christian? And so, more conversations, more things, and we got to explore a whole bunch of different ideas. And eventually, by the time it was my senior year, uh, I was admitted to a PhD program for cognitive psych. And kind of my act of rebellion was instead I simultaneously also applied then to history of Christianity programs because it kind of fit all my different loves. So I loved history. I always did. I also picked up while I was at Luther a double major in Latin because I just really liked the language. (laughs) And so with that, as well as philosophy aspect, I wanted to really research Augustine. And that's what brought me then to Vanderbilt. I was still atheist, but... So still atheist, but choosing to study the history of Christianity? Yes. Is that kind of... Was that to prove that there was all not good? What was, what was behind that? Yeah, I don't know. And that's the funny thing. It was one of those weird... It, it just felt right. And even my own professor, my advisor said, you know, you're, you're going to do great at psych. You love psych. However, you turn more alive when you start talking about theology and philosophy. Mm. And so it really wasn't an attempt to disprove. It was really more an attempt just to understand more, learn more. And as I kept going in my studies, and especially studying Augustine, uh, it was sort of that same path of you know growing up thinking Christianity is 
Silly, and then to some extent Storm, as well as some of my professors at Vanderbilt, especially Pat Two Burns when he was there, was sort of the Ambrose figure that sort of turned me on and eventually then I become <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> so you come to, to, to Nashville then to Vanderbilt. Yes. Did, did you see yourself uh, just that in the future that you have such an impact as a teacher on so many people across Middle Tennessee? Or how did that opportunity come about for you? Or was there a time before? JP2 yeah, no. What ended up happening was when I was at Vanderbilt and then I converted, um, and my advisor, actually, Pat Two Burns, said, yeah, we saw this coming a mile away. <laughs> you mean converted Christianity or Catholicism? Catholicism. <clears throat> okay, yeah. So I got to that sort of point, and for me, looking at Catholicism, everything systematically held. Like, there's this complete, elegant system of thought, and for me, it was to the point of either Catholicism is right or it's nihilism. And those are the only two things that I can see that that actually hold. Um, and so either there's nothing or this is the case. And so I converted and my parents took it very well. My mother actually said, you know, we, this, we could have predicted this. <laughs> so your family's still Lutheran at this point. Right. Oh, yeah. My yeah. family's still very Lutheran. But yeah. Um, my mother said when I would stay at my Catholic friend's house when I was a little kid, I was always enamored with all the things that the Catholics got to do <laughs> and all the cards and all of the things. And my father also, the only thing he was actually concerned with is he said, you can still drink beer, right? <laughs> um, Even more than before, I, I know, right? That's, and that's what I said. I was like, yeah, the, the stereotypes are true. You know, I, I, was, I was at Vanderbilt. And one kid came to me and said, do you have any food restrictions? And nobody, we do bacon and we do beer. Like, okay, I'll go see y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and while I'm there, um, you know, I started, you know, because it's a major life change, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is coming from basically atheism to this, but at that point, I needed to be in an environment that was a little more Catholic, than what Vanderbilt had. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Pat Two, was kind of struggling a little bit, and Pat Two suggested that I talk to someone at JP2 just to find out more about Catholic education mm. and just as something as a potential option. And so I went to JP2, was talking to various people there, and a job opened up and they offered me a position. And so I took it. And I started teaching theology there while I was still writing my dissertation. <laughs> Gosh. Jeez, so, so every year went by, and then and you just, did you just take it one year at a time and say, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be right now, and I'm going to do my best at it? Yeah, it was it, because the other option was once I finished my dissertation, do I go into the academy? Do I become a professor? Do I continue to research? And one of the things that I really loved, I love teaching. Uh, it was great, and JP2 afforded me that. I also did, was getting more and more unhappy with the secular environment and secular systems, just insofar as I was very much not going to criticize the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, you know, I wanted to remain in a Catholic environment. I wanted to continue to do that and to continue to teach, and I felt 
teaching high school had actually for me more impact, more reach, and uh, to, to a large degree, I was very free hmm. at a Catholic high school. And so I made the decision then to continue, and that's where I wanted to be. Wow, you made such an incredible impact. So you yeah. were his student? Yes, yes okay. I was, and my fiance was as well. So yeah, that's the connection. He was he was great. Thank <laughs> you for being uh, for all your hard work being a teacher. Um, but after, after over a decade, what, what was that decision like for you uh, to move on here to work with the diocese? How, how difficult or easy was it? It was actually a very difficult decision. Mm. Uh, it was not one that I was not actually looking for another job. Uh, I loved teaching there. And my wife teaches there, yeah. and she's the head of the math department. And so when the job came available, I was looking at it. I also kind of knew, especially teaching theology, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to be enthusiastic all the time to try to really get across that. It's, it's, I've also taught Latin, taught AP Psych. Theology mm-hmm. takes a more emotional toll. And I knew probably I'd have 10, 15 good years left. I didn't want to be one of those, you know, <laughs> daughtery teachers who just sort of phones it in. And so this job popped up and it was still working with the diocese as well as a lot of the same things that I wanted to do at the school, dealing with the formation of the faith and dealing with you know education at the youth but also education for adults and so my wife and i talked over quite some time prayed a lot over it as well and it seemed like the right choice but it was a very very difficult one mm. for me to make and it was you know hard to to leave the school but my wife's still there so yeah, I think people who work in high school always have that love and, and, and kind place in your heart for those. So it's hard to leave, uh, you know, a high school. And you, and I think that we see really lives being transformed. Especially, I think that you know, JP, being with so many non-Catholics, you know, that not necessarily come to the school because they are Catholic, but because the school is Catholic. So I think it's an opportunity, and I, you know, with Bishop Joby and with Bishop Spouting, I see so many people converting, and you know, being confirmed and all that stuff at the school. It was pretty cool to see that stuff going on too. And that was the unique thing with JP two. We typically would be about forty percent non-Catholic mm-hmm. in the school, which was also a very made it a very different environment. I think actually one that was very positive because on the one hand, it allowed us to, at the very least, for those who are non-Catholic, understand the Catholic faith better. Uh, What what can you tell us about your new role as the director of uh, faith formation here in the diocese? Yeah, so what it is is essentially we deal with all of the different lay ministries that exist. And so adult formation, whether that's RCIA, uh, youth and young adult, things like search. Uh, We also are adding a position for Hispanic ministry as well as then one for marriage and family life. And really it's to provide service and support to parishes is our main goal. Mm -hmm. So how best we can serve those parishes, whether let's say someone has, 
an individual who is a youth minister for the first time. We can help provide the resources and guidance to help them be more successful as well, to assist them as well as the pastors. Mm. Well, you're doing an amazing job so far with these retreats. Uh, we enjoyed attending the, the, mer- the engaged couples retreat earlier and learning why I am the way I am. It was amazing. Um, but what, if I may ask you, um, be, have you been married now for seven years? Is yes, that right? seven years. And you're telling me that. Well, for you, if I may ask, what has been like the most difficult part of marriage and the most, I, I guess, beautiful or enjoyable part of marriage? Ooh. You know, I think the difficult thing is always, I mean, you know, we're humans and we're, you know, still feeling the effects of original sin. So mm-hmm. there's always those moments of the, com- the competition of wills. Yeah. Right. You may want to do something, you know, your spouse may want to do something else or, you know, just the normal mundane issues. You know, you may be in a great mood and she or he has come home and it's been the worst day ever. And, you know, being able to sort of which I think is also the other <clears throat> on the flip side is the beautiful aspect is learning sacrifice hmm. and, you know, marriage then is that, you know, path of sanctification by being with the other and learning to be able to empty yourself and sacrifice for the other. It's the small, everyday, little sacrifices that is much more difficult, Mm -hmm. but that's part of the process is, is then learning that that sacrifice should always be constant. It should always be there for the other. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I always talk to couples when I'm doing marriage prep is there's your family way and then there's his family way. Now that you have to understand those ways, but now you're going to get a third way. How are you going to do this? You know, sometimes I say, well, in my house, we don't go to bed until all the dishes are in the dishwasher. And, you know, the dishwasher is running. Maybe under your house is like, we don't wash dishes until we have no more dishes. Both ways are okay. How are you going to do this at your house? You know, I would say that it's not you and me that is us. How are we going to do this? And it's funny because we go through, like, where is going to be Christmas? You know, and I said, I asked them to say the same time. And it's like, oh, my family, oh, my family. Okay, we need to talk about this. Or what are you going to do Thanksgiving? Or what? And they have assumptions and they have some stuff that they never talked about. That's why dialogue on the, you know, the marriage prep is so important. Or say, how many kids are you going to have? And then, you know, sometimes she say two and then the guys say four. <laughs> and I just let them look at each other and said, okay, that's not the same number. Or when are you going to have the kids or all that stuff? But that, that, that sense of talking to and this is what we're going to do as, as a couple, as a new family that starts. So what can you say more about marriage prep? I know you kind of always hit in the past about how, quote unquote, don't like it or don't like doing the weddings. What can either young adults or just people that are being married, in what can they do better at like? I think the biggest problem with this is you baptize the baby and you do your first communion and then they make, you know, make you do ev- all the way into your confirmation. And then unfortunately, a lot of times confirmation is seen as a graduation. So you never come back until you get why don't you get married? So there is this from your 15, whatever, 13, 14 years old until you get married. There is like 10, 15 years that you have no catechism, that you have no faith formation, that you don't go to church. And I mean, priests can do pretty, you know, good stuff, but you can't make you 
or your you know your wife formed what you didn't do in 15 years in <laughs> three or four marriage you know yeah so i mean if you are not formed and i think that sometimes some of the weddings <laughs> that we see is like do you really want to be here you know do you really want to go through this because you know and it's funny because i say okay so what mess do you go through <clears throat> well uh, 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 <laughs> like i mean you want a wedding in the church so shouldn't going to mass because that's the basic stuff mm-hmm. you know or like when was the last time you went to confession uh, for confirmation so like I, I, and I think that thanks be to God I think in the diocese we are really blessed to have so many young adult groups in the parishes and you know young adult program that is working that is forming those people you know people coming to confession and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think University of Calais is one of the parishes that have more confessions available. We have every day before Mass for one hour. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, like, and yeah, I know that it, how hard it is to, you know, find, you know, sometimes like, yeah, we have 3 to 3.30 on Saturdays. Like, do you understand that actually people cannot all come from 3 to 3.30 <laughs> on Saturday? But then we see that, I, I think we see that, type of formation and all that coming up and people are changing but it, it takes a long time so it's just you know doing the conferences and doing all that stuff that we're doing but you are in, one of the things that I heard in the seminar is like you in charge of your formation you know even if you go to a creepy seminary or whatever or your theology school it's not that good you in charge of your formation so many times, you know, in the school that was being formed sometimes like I don't think this is what the church teach. You know, and I would, you know, I had some teachers who would enjoy speculative theology. That's great. Tell me what the church teach. And then we can speculate as much as you want, as long as you say, this is the truth. This is what the church teach. And then we can have all the other stuff. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it goes back. And I think that it's always so important, Dr. Prepper, you and your team to be, you know, in charge of the formation of the diocese because it's needed. Yes, uh, that's something that I think for... You know, we go through periods where there's better formation than less formation, and it's always sort of a seesaw effect of what's getting focused on, what's, and I think right now, and of course, we're also, in a sense, battling what secular society and some of the values are becoming more stronger advocates really directly against Christianity in general, let alone just Catholicism, and this is getting harder and harder for people because you hear all these different voice, different things, and people want to know more, people want to believe more, people want these things, and so that's why if we can offer more different types of programs, different types of assistance, that this will hopefully help rekindle the faith. Yeah, and I think the other thing is like one way of the church in the U.S. they work is like, oh, this is not work. Let's do this workshop or that, you know, let's do this big program. Sometimes it's that one-on-one conversation that you have to have. Your priest is not too busy. If he's saying that to you, it's a lie. (laughs) That's his job. That's his vocation. He is supposed to be talking to you. You know, and sometimes that's the one-on-one conversation. Like yesterday, the day before, I was talking to somebody in spirit direction. He's like had like those 20,000 things that he was in. I said, slow down. Let's talk each one of them. You know, and, 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 and it was, I was able to say, okay, 
is this reality? Is this how you feel? And what are the lies that you you allow yourself to believe? And it's like, oh my, I never thought about it. So we went through, you know, each one of those big things, and I said, okay, wh- is this your feeling, or is just reality, or in how, what are the lies? And it's like, it makes sense. So you know, be able to that one-on-one experience too. No, and the, that's something that, and this was what. Uh, Pope Benedict, well, then Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, in the Ratzinger report, said, which was very much predictive of what's happening now, he said the two biggest things that we need to do is demonstrate that there's a need for community and that there's a need for redemption, that those two things are crucial, and oftentimes that need for community requires things well beyond workshops. It requires that one-on-one. It requires a more personal connection to people. Uh, I mean, very much like teaching. Mm. I mean, and that's very much that same type of mode. But teaching in not the sort of early 20th century German university sense <clears throat> where it's 400 people just sitting there, but actually the sort of very much accompanying individuals along the way um, in a very personal and real way, because that's ultimately I mean, that's Trinitarian what, that, and Christian. I mean, that's what everything. That's is what makes difference in your life, right? When you right. have those teachers who believed in you and who were working with right. you, and like, okay, yeah. And w- without them, I mean, it's the same, and it's that same thing with Augustine, right? I mean, the, the whole story of Augustine's conversion is very personal. It's very real. It's very, you know, when it was just himself. That's when he becomes more and more miserable. Uh, and it's actually even funny in the confessions, as he becomes worse and worse and worse, he quits using people's names. And as he sort of goes more and more individualistic and inside of himself, and it's really then the community that brings him back out, his friends, and then of course his mother, All, you know, and then God. There's nothing worse than being consumed in your own selfishness. Huh? I don't know, but th- thank you, Dr. Pepper, for being on the show today, uh, for sharing your testimony and, and what the work you're doing with the diocese. We appreciate you being on here. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Um, thank you, Father. Yeah, thank you, Father Javon, for all your insight. And uh, for Jim Crow, does a lot with our show with taping and getting us set up. And for everyone in our listening audience as well, uh, remember you can tune in and find us at NashvilleCR.com. Uh, we're also on the radio, 100.5. Uh, FM, and you can search for Belonging for Young Catholic Adults, and you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, my name is Zach Jansen. Thank you for listening to Belonging on Nashville Catholic Radio.